1: And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up,
2: Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My7Chakras. My7Chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system and align with your life's purpose. Today's episode, we talk about some really amazing topics, including the significance of the final eighth, the power of alter egos, why you find it hard to achieve your goals and what to do about your negative beliefs. So if you'd like to explore more of these topics, especially in your car, at your home, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button right now because uh, when you hit that button it does something to the algorithm so that people who would not normally come across our podcast magically come in front of it Uh, and that's how we uh, spread the word so before we proceed with this super exciting episode that i've got in store for you make sure that you hit the subscribe button especially if you are on your iphone And with that being said, let's bring on our guest for today, Bridget Dengel-Gaspard. So Bridget is an authorized facilitator and trainer of voice dialogue, a simple yet powerful technique of listening and communicating with our inner selves, developed by Dr. Sidra and Hal Stone, with whom Bridget trained intensively. The more Bridget witnessed the restorative power of this modality for all kinds of people, including herself, the more she concentrated on deepening her understanding of the process of healing. Bridget recently wrote, the final eighth, enlist your inner cells to accomplish your goals, which we're going to explore in today's episode so if you are just tuning in or maybe if you're watching a replay make sure that you listen till the very end because you're going to have a lot of takeaways to apply in your own life as well so Bridget thank you so much for joining us on today's session
3: I'm so happy to be here
2: great are you ready to inspire
3: I am ready to inspire
2: (laughs) that's wonderful Uh, and we usually start our Uh, episodes with an inspirational quote so what is that quote that's on your mind this beautiful morning and how do you apply this
3: quote on your day-to-day life the quote is from colin wilson and it says live as if at any moment you could get the absurd good news and when i read that years ago i it enlightened me and enlivened me like right why live just down everything's not going to work out so any time I kind of feel down i 'm like, "Wait, at any moment i 'm going to get the absurd good news. How great is that That's
2: wonderful, and it 's very interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of times we look back in life and we look at the beautiful moments that happened in the past. And because that moment is not happening right now, mm-hmm. we feel sad. We feel demoralized, but we never look at the future and say, Hey, you know what? We're just one step away from this transformation. If you could have a good moment in the past, what stops you from having an even better moment a couple of seconds from now, a couple of exactly. minutes from now. Right. So that is a great energy to bring into this uh, interview. And I
3: love the word absurd. Like mm it could be unexpected. You know, you don't have to, whatever your linear mind is saying, okay, we've got this going, but then there could be something absurdly good. So that it's also um, has a sense of humor to it, which I enjoy.
2: Right. I love these words, absurd, crazy, (laughs) radical. Yeah. It's like, it it speaks to uh, an eccentric part of us.
0: Oh I love that, that word. Be
2: somehow high That would be someone high, right? And maybe we can ex- we can explore that as well, but um yeah. Uh,
3: you could you could have the eccentric <laughs> episode down the line.
2: <laughs> we could and I think all my episodes are a bit eccentric. The other day like uh, most of my episodes are a bit on the longer side and uh, obviously people who don't have time are not interested, they tune out, but the ones who listen to the whole episode, they are, like us, a bit eccentric, which is which is always good. Now, Bridget, I wanted to start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
3: Well, I actually was born in Stratford, Ontario, so I'm a little bit Canadian like you, I guess. Um, My father was an actor, and he was at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Midsummer Night's Dream playing Puck. Now, Puck is a character that's uh, like a wizard and likes to make trouble, and so I was born and called immediately Puck's child. Mm. And uh, I feel like I still have some of that... uh, Elfin energy. And then because my parents were American and had moved to New York to pursue their careers in entertainment, my father is an actor. That's where I grew up, basically. First in uh, the city, New York City, and then upstate for a while.
2: Wonderful. I love Shakespeare, um, especially as a kid. I read uh, Julius Caesar, Macbeth, and uh, there's something so beautiful about plays, right yeah of expressing a part of you that is usually hidden and portraying these different alter egos and personas just to allow yourself to creatively express and that's a beautiful experience I I didn't do any plays, but uh, I got this one opportunity to perform one scene and in fact the first scene from Julius Caesar oh even still date I remember you know passages wherefore rejoice what conquest brings ye home what tributaries follow to Rome to grace and captive bonds as Janet wheels go home I think that was a part well where they were done. Right? <laughs> I think that was a part where they were angry with the people who were celebrating Caesar if I'm not mistaken
3: and the thing about Shakespeare and other artists obviously is how even though that was written centuries ago how you could argue perhaps unfortunately appropriate it is today. And the other thing about the plays you mentioned are all Mm -hmm. those uh, negative, shall we say, because they're painful feelings, like revenge and envy and Mm. powerful and uh, and conquering. And so I think those plays help us handle these natural archetypal energies within us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because if we did not relate or recognize those characters that we would not be attracted to going to the play. But for some reason, when we go to these plays or these movies, we recognize an element of our own human consciousness. And that is, um, even though we might not get an opportunity to experience revenge or hate, just to acknowledge them, even for a few moments, makes us more human, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so, what influence did your
3: parents have on your upbringing? That's a very large question, and <laughs> but one of the things that occurs to me is my father loved moving and dancing, so I would say that's a long time uh, influence that is just delightful because I've always loved both, and they were both very intellectual. They loved reading and um, culture. And so that's something that was important to both of them and was part of our household. And um, both my parents loved dogs, for example, so love of animals. And also traversing different cultures. Having grown up in New York, it's just naturally uh, a place where the world comes together. So I grew up in a place where differences were not only celebrated from our household's point of view, because I know they're not always, but just a fact of life. And Mm. I love the subways, loved them because I would bring a book to read and never get to it, even as an adult, because there's so much to watch. And then in New York, there'd be different waves of people coming from different countries. And then I'd hear an accent or a language, actually, I wouldn't know the words. I couldn't even recognize what part of the world they were from. And I loved that because one of them, it turned out, was Nepalese. And I had just simply never heard the language before. Mm -hmm. And so that appreciation of just the gifts and the mystery of the different cultures, and what a a wonderful thing to be around it. Yeah. So uh, COVID, of course, I always feel like we have to acknowledge we're in this really distinct time in our human history. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that, because we have to be safe for everybody, really, at least for me, limits those interactions that are a part of New York City and other cosmopolitan cities as well, where it's really appreciated the differences in people.
2: Hmm, That's interesting. I mean, it's wonderful that as a child, you had exposure to both creativity but also intellect as well but, uh, and I'm getting the curiosity and yeah. uh, the seeking nature of asking questions and not being limited to what you already know and not being limited to the people that you already know because you mentioned that you had a wide diversity of people and I do recall when I did go to New York how beautiful it is that you can just walk across the streets and avenues and go from one place to the other. One time you're having a pizza, the other time you're <laughs> having some Chinese food. And I once got lost in Times Square. Oh. Uh, it was a couple of friends of mine. And it was my first time, I think, from India because I was on a Super Shiva trip from my company that sent me to USA. Ooh. Because we I was at both, so our headquarters was in Framingham.
0: Massachusetts so
2: we were also visiting New York and I didn't have a phone and so because there's an explosion of different types of people in Times Square and all the different lights all around you it can sometimes be psychedelic and hallucinogenic, right and there was this phase where I was like wait where am I I don't where are my friends and so what happened well what happened was I just well my logical mind came came into place I was like worst case scenario I'll take the subway go back to the hotel Uh, so I said you know what the other thing I could do is I can just have fun that's the reason why I came here right and I loved electronics so I went to the Best Buy and sort of spent some time checking out stuff there and so when I came back uh, came back to the watch store on Times Square near the sort of staircase Um, and then my friend was there Uh, we we just ran into each other again and i was like dude it's amazing that we have caught up but the other thing is also just the sense of assurance within me that i'm I'm gonna be all right you know i'll figure something out uh but yeah it's that's yeah
3: people i mean new york has such a reputation in all kinds of ways both correct and incorrect according to me but the thing especially for people who don't who haven't been to New York city Mm. is that the buildings are so tall. Some of them, they literally are like, huge canyons, and you're right, the lights can ricochet, and a lot of them have windows, so it ricochets through the windows, and then the noise, because in fact it is canyons with like steep ridges, which are the avenues and the streets, and sensorily, especially if you're not used to it, or a Broadway show just comes out, and basically floods New York Times, or I mean the um, Times Square with people, it's wonderful, but it can be really scary
2: if you go in the wrong alley it, it, it can definitely be scary I mean, yeah but that's the beauty about the city right it, ha- it, it it's a it's a contrast it's beautiful and it's bright and it's shiny but it's also dark and it you know you have shady people and you have people who uh, you know do not have your interests and I think that's for life as well you need just need to surround yourself with the right people and use your intuition to be in the right place at the right time
3: Yeah. And I love what you said. Just know it's going to be okay. However, it unfolds. It's
2: very, very true. So talk to us about the first seven years of, of your life, because like, like you might agree, our first seven years are so important, right? They are the formative years. So what sort of influence did those seven years play in your,
3: in your whole life? (laughs) <laughs> wow, you ask such amazing questions. Thanks. So the first seven years of my life, I actually lived in Harlem. Okay. And so I'm a white person in Harlem, and this was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think, one, again, it goes back to just the diversity. And um, and I went to a public school in Harlem, and this was in during the, the first wave of protests, which was great. And so, for example, in our school, before Martin Luther King Jr. was a holiday, we took that day off. The school itself just said, we're closing in honor of him. And it was mm-hmm. after that that it became a national holiday. So I think... Um, And again, the music and the dancing and that my neighbors were from Haiti and the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Um, And also there were a lot of harsh lessons as there are now, the stratosphere of the haves and the have-nots. I was lucky that I was in a track for intellectually gifted children is what they called it. So we had a, you know, a lot of great reading and I loved our principal who was just really involved. But um, there was violence around and you had to be careful because as you said, people don't always have their best interests. So I think I was also always aware of that. I, there were um, There was violence that happened around in the neighborhood. So everyone knew when it did. Mm. Um, so maybe I've always said, I've been aware of the opposites and I'm not putting it together. So much. uh, like right now I'm putting it together in a different way, Mm. but then I was always aware of nature because where my building was, it's right by the Hudson river. So it was beautiful. And for those that know New York city, it's by the George Washington bridge, which is this majestic bridge between New York and New Jersey. And the New Jersey side has these palisades. So it's beautiful. And so Mm. I would look out at this spectacular sky. Every night was a painting because you'd see the sunset and it would be different. Mm. And one time I remember looking across at New Jersey, this was during the day and I saw colored lightning Mm. and I was blown away. It was red. It was, and I'm like, that's red lightning. Then Lots of years later, the Science Times does a whole section on the colored lightning, that it is not true lightning is only white. So those are some of the big things I think that affect me. I have lots of sisters, so Mm. certainly I know how to be a sister and a sibling. No brothers, so I think there's a certain area that I'm just, I didn't grow up with brothers, so I didn't have certain experiences that I know other siblings have had.
2: Wonderful. And, you know, because you mentioned about the Hudson River, one of my fondest memories from my trip to New York was being on the Hudson River and being on that little boat that we went on. uh, And, uh, you know, just having hot dogs and looking at the city, looking at Manhattan back when you're on the Hudson River and sort of going around the Statue of Liberty. And the guy on top had a mic and he was, you know, making everyone laugh and doing his spiel, right? (laughs) Uh, But, It was it was so beautiful. And I do agree that um, although the city might be beautiful, the best part of the city is the nature and Central Park, right? New York is gifted to have Central Park. And like in Vancouver, we've got Stanley Park, which is huge. It's very huge. And I think uh, those places need to be protected and conserved. Absolutely.
3: Also, everyone knows Central Park, but there's a park at the tip of Manhattan. And it's got virgin forest. It's got a few thousand-year-old trees. So I'm just agreeing that even with this massive global urban center, yeah. it's really important to save nature and protect it.
2: So you spoke about the fact that you had all sisters, did not have brothers. You spoke about your school, your childhood, and the fact that, yes, there was you know danger lurking around. Um How much of our life and what is unfolding is within our conscious control? And how much of it is
3: outside of our control? This is juicy. (laughs) My immediate answer is, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think one can... Aim to have more conscious awareness, which I think includes understanding that there's a lot we don't know, but that does not mean we're victims to our past, and it doesn't mean that we're stuck with formerly negative beliefs. In other words... When I talk about negative beliefs with clients, I'm like, those negative beliefs, like I am worthless or I'm unlovable, they were always false. They were never true. But what was true is you thought they were true, and thus you made decisions as if they were true. And so you can have sadness about that because you behaved with not thinking clearly because you were devoted to these negative beliefs. So that can change. And then in terms of the bigger picture, and this is, I know, partly what you do, AJ, is I don't know, like, how -hmm. much is just letting go so that synchronicity can move us along. And I think it's a balance. Yeah. What do you think?
2: Yeah, that's the ultimate question, right? I mean, I guess in a place like USA, you would say that your willpower is all there is, and you you decide, (laughs) and then you do it. Uh, according to yoga, what they say is, well, the first seven years are so formative that you 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 develop these subconscious ways of thinking, your imprints, your filters, the way that you look at life, and because of that, you're literally living your life in a hypnosis. Uh, you're just li- living your life through reactions and triggers based on what you experienced or did not experience. And I guess one of the points of yoga is through, through breathing and through moving your body in a certain way through meditation is to clear off these imprints and to reprogram your brain, your mind, so that not only are you able to take decisions, but those decisions are in alignment with what your true purpose or calling is. So it is taking inspired action, but it it's like taking inspired actions so that you might not go up that ladder, but only regret it like 20 years down the line. You say, I have achieved my goals, but these are not in with my with my purpose. I'm not really happy, you know? So I guess oh. it's a double-edged sword.
3: <laughs> yes, but I would say my philosophy aligns with just what you described. That's so beautiful. But the great thing is you can pierce a hole in that hypnosis, like you said, through yeah. yoga and just like wake up, literally.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of wake up, one of my (laughs) favorite TV shows on Netflix is called Sense8. I love the OA as well. I love the 100, but Sense8. And if people know me, they'll know that I love the number 8. I was born on June 8th. My sister was born on April 8th. And my most recent in-person breathwork workshop happened on August 8th at 8 p.m. 888. And so I like it, uh, but what made you name your book the Final It?
3: Ah, oh, I love that you <laughs> love AIDS. I had no idea. Yeah. It literally came to me. I had went was in private practice, and I had all kinds of different types of clients, and they were dedicated and hardworking. And it yeah. didn't matter whether they were in the creative field or a lawyer. I began to realize there was this stoppage, like. These were hardworking people. They were moving toward their goals and they were suddenly blocked. And I watched and I remember which client it was. And it literally feels like it came out of my belly. I'm like, this is the final eighth. It's a thing. Mm. They're seven eighths of the way there. And it came out whole. And so I can't tell you why, but it's like, and then I shared it with my clients. Of course, that's what eventually I wrote a book. Mm. The minute I described in very short, like just a sentence, I'm like, this seems like a final eighth issue they caught they were like yes it is it resonated with them and that also helped because it's like oh good i can name it and when you can name something often then you can start to think of ways to shift but that's it literally came up out of probably a pattern you know i had seen Mm. it enough without really thinking about it logically and finally and it never moved from that because that was what came out
2: Right, right, right. And, and I so love eights
3: too. <laughs> eights are fab.
2: Eights <laughs> are definitely fab. I mean, for some reason, you know, the other, always seven is great because you have seven chakras, but what happens in the eighth is ultimately what determines, you know, your life. That's just my belief. But in your conversations with these people, what did you find out? What, what was happening in their life? And why
3: were they stopping right
2: before the deadline or before the finish line?
3: Yeah, or both. Yeah. yeah, so I am blessed that I had this client load that was genuinely talented and hardworking, and yeah. because I had been with them for a while, you, I knew it was true. Like sometimes you, someone say, "I worked really hard," and then you ask, well, "What did you do?" And you're like, "Oh, okay." Last month you took one step. Mm, it's not a mystery why you're not moving forward, but it was a mystery to me as well. Like it's not making sense. I know you did this, that, and the other. Stuff towards your goal. And then I'm thinking of several examples. One was uh, a person in the creative field who was a performer and a writer, and she had written all of these plays for 10 year olds and had produced them, directed them to great effect for in school. And there's a huge market for uh, plays that can be used by drama programs in elementary school and middle school. Mm-hmm. And she was literally asked by a publisher, can you just give me these plays that you've already written, already performed, so you know right. they work, the teachers love them, and they never got to the publisher. Mm-hmm. All she had to do was hand her notes, really. Not, yep. you know, her. they were going to do everything else. And she wanted to move up in her field. But that was, like, just some parts of her. In fact, there were parts that didn't want to, be, and they were the parts that it never got to that publisher. And so she would work seven days, and she worked so hard, and the productions were amazing, and they were right. historical. Like, she'd find one, one year it was about finding interesting females that were heroes, and they weren't the females we kind of all grew up hearing about. Right. So they were so special. Yeah. And, and and there were versions of that. And so that was part of it. The sadness, like, wow, the world is not going to get your incredibly special mm. contribution. And that right. I think that also saddened me because I saw, wow, it's bigger than you. Like I I certainly was I'm a cheerleader for my clients. Yeah. But I also saw how everybody lost mm. when the final eighth isn't made.
2: Hmm, that's really, really interesting. And what I'm thinking in my mind is somebody who's looking at this individual who has spent obviously a lot of time creating these resources and assets, and all she needs to do is send them away, they'd be like, hey, you got such a huge opportunity. Why Why don't you just do it? Just set aside some time on a weekend, you know, Put on headphones and just send an email, or just ship that uh, you know package, and then the the lady or the girl, whoever we're talking about, might say, you know what, you don't get it, right? They might say, you don't get it. You don't understand what's happening in my mind. You don't have. You don't understand what's happening energetically. I'm trying, but it just is not happening. And so that brings me to the first chapter in your book, which is called, not all of what you want. Wait, wait, wait. Not all, <laughs> not all of you wants what you think you want.
3: Exactly.
2: What do you mean by that?
3: <laughs> so, right. Not all of you wants what you think you want. And yes. that's a perfect example. So what it turned out, so there were several parts that wanted that. Let's just use this example okay. of, of getting these scripts published. Because also she needed money. This would have been a source of income. And yeah. it ultimately passive source because once it's in book form the publisher was going to send them out there was going to be an endless market because every year you got fifth graders. I mean it really I think that was another reason when some of these uh examples were so concrete I couldn't help but see them after a while because this one was like what is the mystery here exactly it does not make sense and you need money you know a lot of people say they need money but when you look at their situation they don't really you find out maybe there's a trust fund or something, and so you find out there's other things. But here there was a need, so mm-hmm. that made it even more mysterious. Yeah, so what happened was she had all of these talented selves and permission to work hard, but she had these other selves that we mm-hmm. ultimately went to, which were hidden, and we call them hidden selves. And they were the quiet selves, they were the ones that refused for her to basically just take this very short concrete step to move into the next level. And these cells were attached to very harsh, first seven years of her life was absolutely dictating here, very harsh early years where there was really negative beliefs within the family, including uh, things don't work out and you are stupid. So she was she had selves that believed she was stupid and that things don't work out. So mm. those selves, once she got so close at the outer world, even a friend said, I'll come over mm. and I'll help you. What do you need organized? I'll yeah. I'll help you. It's so close. It even frustrates people in their circle. Like, come on. And mm. no, she was always too busy for that. So, so but those other selves, they were actually in a distorted loyalty to her mom and dad. And they each believed it in their own way that life doesn't work out, but here's their family credo. You work hard, but it doesn't work out. And so she was up against having to be disloyal emotionally Mm -hmm. and she had to then transform. And I think it's a conflict of identity. It's the identity you know, that's the seven A's. And then the other one is the transformational identity and you have to be able to handle that that's why in my book i have a whole chapter to practicing safe success because you have to handle your bigger transformational life
0: Mm.
3: and she just it was just too hard and she couldn't break it was really sad this attachment to um this underlying devotion to life doesn't work out and handing it to the publisher would have made those parts a liar,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and so.
2: Right. So the last self is called transformational self. What is the first self called again?
3: Oh, I might say that your current identity. It's the what current you identity. know. Okay. Got
2: it. Got it.
3: Also, I think of it as we get permission. To be in certain arenas, again, unconsciously. So some people, they work hard because that's an arena that they have selves that do well in and they have permission. It's okay. It's maybe even morally superior to work hard. You've got lots of support for that. But what you don't have support for is winning, is victory, is like acing it. And people are shocked. You even said, like New Yorkers, it's like, you know, your can-do selves, just do it. Mm -hmm. And so you have this cultural pressure. Like, what's your problem that you just can't do it? That's, you know, that's a failing in you as opposed to saying, what's going on? Maybe, and I would say there's always wisdom in the parts of you that are stopping you. They don't always feel good. They're painful, but they have wisdom and they're running the show right now. So that's often what I tell clients. It's like, well, you know, your procrastinator took over all weekend. So we could go to your procrastinator and find out because the fact is this part of you is running your calendar so you could Mm. think whatever you want but they're running the show don't you want to see what they have to say yeah
2: yeah so by the way people who are listening sometimes in our show we talk about our gut biome we talk about our gut bacteria and so we talk about cells c-e-l-l-s but here we're talking about selves (laughs) s e l. FS? Yeah. (laughs) So I just (laughs) wanted to differentiate that over here. But it's so true that you mentioned I've come across stories where somebody has this huge opportunity and they're like one step away, they don't do it. Somebody is getting like a Netflix TV show and the whole world is like, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. But they don't do it. So, you know, for somebody listening, what is that opportunity that is in your life right now that from a logical standpoint, is very close, but for some reason, you're just procrastinating it. You're just delaying it. Maybe it's not that you're not hardworking. Maybe there is an aspect of yourself that is, for some reason or the other, holding you back. And we're going to explore that. Uh, but that's what it might be. Now, one of the processes that you talk about in your book is called voice dialogue, right? So... Could you talk to us a bit about this? Yes.
3: Yeah, so voice dialogue is actually a method that was developed by my mentors, Hal and Sidra Stone, who are both psychologists. And it's, I think, revolutionary because you go into a different part of the room and you talk as that self. So if I were to like talk mm. to my perfectionist, we'd meet, move over. And so much of voice dialogue and communication, as I know you know, is not verbal. But we can get blinded by the words, especially if someone's really facile with their language. It's like, ooh, they must know more than they probably actually do. So with voice dialogue, you might you'd go to the other part of the room and you'd embody that self. So when you dialogue, it's also energy. And what is your where is this self in your body? What are some early memories of that self? What does that self think about your final eighth goal? You can ask directly. And you can see it, and that's. I'm, and I'm going to encourage your listeners to look around and see if they can notice what self people are in, even strangers. So my perfectionist would be probably much more upright and kind of vigilant because my perfectionist wants me to be perfect, so it's always looking for the imperfections because it has the noble goal of protecting my vulnerability. Even though my perfectionist, if it becomes toxic, can be terrible in its ways it deals with me. It's noble goal is unchanged from its point of view my perfectionist point of view if i'm perfect i am safe no one's going to reject me and my vulnerability is going to be all good and so when you realize what that part of you cares about and you come back to center a few things now you have access to that energy so maybe what, if you would, if you think about you're a perfectionist, if you have one, AJ, what are five good things about your perfectionist, in all honesty, like that are really good?
2: Five things about my perfectionist? Uh, well, firstly, I think about service. So if I'm a perfectionist, I'm providing a better service, you know, to, to people who listen to my show or, you know, um, work with me. So that's one. If I'm perfect perfectionist I'm sort of um, putting out a better product so in a way I'm thinking about my my future my survival my protection you know my sense of being so that's two yeah um, the I other benefit
3: it, huh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's that?
3: five is hard huh I do yeah, that hard. On <laughs> and they've actually done t- studies you pick five yeah. because usually right. we can battle off three yeah and- Takes a little effort to come to the fourth and the fifth, but often in the process you get to some deeper meanings. Mm. So okay, you're up to three.
2: So 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 I'm up to two. The the third one is my creative pursuit. So if I am a perfectionist, I get better at my craft. I'm, I'm able to express those ideas, concepts that are deep within my psyche. I feel better about myself. And then along those lines, fourth is also if I'm a perfectionist, I complete the process. Yes. and so in the process of completion, just like making a bed, I feel better. I just feel more good about myself. If I have these juices, these endorphins and oxytocin and serotonin that make me feel better just because I am perfect in a I guess in a in a good sense uh, and I'm you know yearning towards the full expression of myself. That's four. The other form of perfection is from a spiritual standpoint, I'm attempting to do what I'm here to do. So, living my calling, actualizing my purpose, aligning, aligning with my greatest vision. Although I do see perfection in that sense, if you know what your purpose is, that's better. But if perfection just for the sake of being perfect at the cost of others can become toxic, right? Uh, so.
3: Exactly. Now, is any was anything a surprise that you just listed? Like, did you know that about your perfectionist?
2: Um, I think you know, dialoguing and, and writing it down can sometimes help because sometimes we tend to forget.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, right? Because survival on one hand and living your purpose are so like different things, right? Um, but you need both. You need to survive because if you don't survive, you can't really actualize your life's purpose. If you just focus on aligning with your vision, but you're worrying about paying your bills, that's got to be hard too. Yeah. So it's like the full spectrum of what perfection means to you. I think it's important to dialogue and to remind yourself, maybe every day, every week. But
3: yeah. And what would you special. say would be a toxic aspect of your perfectionist? Because you said sometimes it can be.
2: Yeah. Um, well, a toxic aspect of my perfectionist is the fact that I'm harsh on myself. I feel that I'm not good enough, you know, yeah. in the world of uh, being a creator or an entrepreneur. You know, the need to have perfection can sometimes hamper not only your own productivity and your you know, ability to get stuff out there in the world, but also your own feeling that you're not um, smart enough or you're not good enough or you're not creative enough or you're not good enough as an entrepreneur because, you know, maybe the... Uh, You know, it's not profitable enough or the money is not coming in, right? And so sometimes our world tends to look at us and put us in buckets. You're either a winner or a loser. You're not somewhere in between, right? There's no nuance to this approach.
3: That's beautifully put. I'm glad you shared that. Exactly. Then it becomes uh, uh, corrosive. And so sometimes I think of doing voice dialogue, and my book actually guides people through it step by step, so it it's, mm. it's, can be easy to do. But I sometimes call voice dialogue a detox for life because mm. you get to get the gifts of the perfectionist and say no thank you to these toxic messages i am no longer loyal to the first seven years i'm waking yeah. up that i it's not ever true that i was worthless it mm. may be true that someone liked someone else better than me and that hurt my feelings yeah but it's not true i was worthless and not worth love it may be true that this person i loved didn't love me back in the same way but those are very different ways of being in the world and if yeah. you interpret it by the selves who are attached to the first seven years, as you said, well, then it's just all going to be proof that you're worthless. Like those selves are going to say, "See, you're having a little frustration now, or you're having a tough learning curve. See, that's you're bad. You know, you don't measure up, or that kind of thing." And they yeah. almost don't have to do anything from their point of view. They just kind of have to point to your to your core negative beliefs. See, and that's also not true, but it is true if you think it's true, because you do the behavior that supports that belief. Like you don't give your book to the publisher. Mm. And then that it's true that, that you didn't take that final step and your work was not nurtured and then did not grow into a big tree that this particular example I feel could have.
2: Mm. Yeah. It seems like our, our brain is like a supercomputer that's always trying to find answers or trying to find meaning behind what happened. It's always trying to conclude, because conclusion is, you get a sense of space, you get a sense of satisfaction. I guess the brain does not like for to look out there compared to if you say, this is what it is, this is what it is, now I found the answer. So is that coming from the, cerebral cortex is is that coming from the our uh, our our logical side of the mind or is that coming from our subconscious expression of the mind
3: i think it's a combo i think so the way voice dialogue would look at it is that we have intellectual selves rational selves and they've Mm. actually started to do brain studies where they literally can see that we humans have our brain uh in in map our brain mapping is like different selves and so yes some of our selves live in our cerebral cortex and those would be the kind of uh organized ones that the manager so to speak and so in Mm -hmm. voice dialogue we would say those are manager selves but the other selves that could operate that way like what's the meaning we've got to find meaning what's the pattern we've got to understand this pattern is uh, our amygdala which is our emotional sense and also a place where i think a lot of our sense of self comes from in that who am I another eternal question so in voice dialogue you would go to that like say all emotional self and Mm -hmm. some selves don't speak words and what I love about voice dialogue say I went to a little two-year-old part of me that just wept then if I was facilitating that I would just let that self weep I wouldn't ask that two-year-old to talk to me like an adult but I would let that self communicate, which in that case, this two-year-old that's just terrified and crying is that's just the way it communicates. Then when we come back to center, a few things happen. You separate from the fear. You realize that's not all of you and Mm -hmm. no self holds the whole story. And that is so liberating to know even the ones that are saying, I'm telling you I'm right. No, you are not. You may be right, but you also don't hold the whole story. And so with Mm -hmm. this little one, one of the side effects of doing this work is that you get compassion. So instead of being mad that you have a fearful part, you're saying, wow, my fearful part holds my fear. You don't have to do it this time. What are five good things about fear? And there's a lot of good things about fear. You don't kick yeah. fear away. You listen to it. And then you judge. Oh, that's an irrational fear. Okay, great. Oh, you know what? There's a little point to that fear. Let me go check it out. Mm. so you hold on to that little one and you realize that little one just wants you to be safe and once you get that that little fearful part of you is not the enemy and not the problem in your blockage it's just what's going on Mm. and then often that blockage kind of loosens on its own because you're like oh of course i have a fearful self what am i stupid of course fear is smart What Mm. you do with it is what you strategically have skills for. You make decisions about the fear, but fear isn't getting in your way. Fear is like alarm, check it out. Is it, you know? And again, so much of this work, you shift your relationship to different parts of yourself, and it's so enlivening.
2: Mm. Very true, very true. By the way, if somebody is listening to this episode right now, if you're listening live or maybe during a replay, make sure that you hit share. Because this one small thing that you do can allow us to be in front of new audiences, and that helps this important message spread, right? Because this is a very important message. Uh, Because it seems like, Bridget, that what we're doing over here is, in a way, uh, peeling the onion. So Mm -hmm. we are like this very strong or seemingly strong onion with uh, different layers and coverings and protection mechanism that we've developed over the years. And what we're doing right now is we're layer by layer peeling
0: the onion. And like you've alluded to, sometimes we might cry. (laughs) Ah, yeah, totally.
1: Get started today at trylifeemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.
2: Yeah. So, 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 thanks for sharing that. How did you go about applying some of these concepts in your own life, especially earlier on when you might have met your mentors and you're learning these amazing different concepts and
3: then realizing, oh, I can apply it here, I can apply it there? So, what was your process like? So, again, this was utter synchronicity, and I followed my intuition, and I'm so happy I did. I actually, in a completely unrelated book, read about voice dialogue, mm-hmm. and it electrified me just reading it. I'm like, I have to hunt this down. And in those days, hunting down meant finding their 1-800 number, yeah. so, which I did. And I'm like, who's doing this in New York? I have to do this. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was a performer and an improviser, and so I so I was naturally aware and having grown up in theater that we are many selves. So that just fit. And I also like improv. It's the same thing you go. Yes. And is the philosophy of improvisation. So I thought, my gosh, this is so great as an actor, also for characters. Like you see that I have a lot of energy, right? But if I'm auditioning for a part of someone who's slow, Mm. thinks, a couple of seconds before they speak. That might be hard for me because my I'm high energy. But voice dialogue, I just got in touch with my so, slow self. Then when I had to audition for a particular character, I could just enter that energy. And it was so fun as a creativity tool. But the more I did it, and then I'm, I became I trained I met the doctor. Stone and I started training and doing more of my own work with it, I saw people heal when they realized they were so much more than they thought they were so what i love about voice dialogue is you can still use it as a creativity tool one time uh, uh, someone i didn't know called to get a voice dialogue session and only came once and i'm not sure how he heard about me but he was having a block he was a Mm -hmm. writer a novelist with one character and he didn't understand how this character worked and he was blocked so we did a session which is in relation to this character he embody this character and he figured it out i don't even know what the it is because because I, I never saw him again but mm. embodying that part that he was writing about helped him and then he continued to write and he got the puzzle so he was able to to continue so there's that's what i love you can use it that way for anything you can if you're a painter and you want and you're say your procrastinator is getting in the way paint is the procrastinator Mm. It's going to make you have fun. Like how would a procrastinator paint? Would they actually paint? Like it, it opens you up so you're not stuck in that constricting energy. But right. then the other things I saw was how quickly people got down to their core wounds, but Mm. also their essence. Because the whole thing is that we in voice dialogue say that the vulnerability we carry as humans is where our essence is, our potentiality. It's what we come in with as an infant. So when you protect, when you've got too many cells protecting against your vulnerability, you have a wall between you and your own essence. Mm. And the other thing voice dialogue does is you get to know this, wall of cells and we love our wall it's the wall protected you the wall is the reason you're as old as you are doing the thing you're doing we thank the wall but they are no longer helpful they can't protect you because you're not a seven-year-old anymore or even a 14-year-old so now you need access to different parts or you're not going to move forward you simply can't but the great thing is and you said alluded to it earlier is that then you start to get back to your essence and mm-hmm. then it's like what resonates now and i have a whole chapter about letting go of your goal if it doesn't resonate and you're just using it to torture yourself like i should finish that dissertation how many people are mm-hmm. abd all but dissertation right they've done the whole phd program they spent years on this book or manuscript and they're not gonna ever really finish it Mm. i have given them permission to just throw it away it served its purpose so then you have space and time to see well what's my essence what do i want to do now
2: Mm. so what is life like with your essence
3: you know unleashed how is life different what a gorgeous question life is different because you get to hook into what resonates. So I'm, that's why I say it's like a a new lifestyle. And Mm. I, I think it probably corresponds to a lot of the work that you do energetically. Mm. It's a way of being. So let's say you, um, you have a good girl and a very, or I do anyway. Maybe you have a good girl, too, but I have a good boy, too, but a responsible one. And so I walk. So uh, the responsible one says I need to do X, Y and Z. But really, I don't want to. And it doesn't have to be done. And it does not match with my essence. Now I can I don't go into reactionary mood like, OK, my good girl and my responsible ones I have to do it. I have to do it. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, this isn't feeling right. What cells want to do what? Then I make a conscious decision. I may still decide to do the task because it feels like the right thing to do, but it's a yeah. choice. It's not my responsible one taking over the agenda and I'm totally cut off from my essence. Or I'm like, heck no, I'm going to cancel that because I don't feel like doing it. And anyway, I've got some final aid stuff that I feel like doing. Or I simply feel like dancing right now and I'm going to turn on some music and dance that's what's different choice. You feel like you have a choice, even when you're doing the thing that you don't really want to do. But like you were talking about with your perfectionist, that you want to be a good family member. So you visit grandma and it's not the funnest thing in the world, but you actually then actually come to it with a whole new attitude. Like how lovely that I have a grandma to visit or, you know, that kind of thing, not because you're supposed to feel gratitude. That's a supposed to self, but because you just do, you're like, okay, but then after grandma, maybe I'll take that walk in the park. Whereas before you would have just been resentful. Why do I always have to be the one? And bah, 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 bah. Yeah. And and that's no fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Because the other day, my mom asked me to call my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, really? do Because I'm doing so many different things. And I'm doing this and that. And, you know, it's maybe she's not available on the phone. But then I realized, let me just give a call. And it was actually good, you know, because then you realize that, You know, time on earth is limited and your grandmom, you could sense it through her energy and her emotions that she was looking forward to talking to you, even though she might have a little bit of dementia, but she still remembers you. And, uh, you know, it's just this love. You're surrounded and embraced in love that goes beyond words, right? And then you realize I should have actually called her or maybe I should call her more more number of times and that. My mom was right.
3: And that it's for you that the real secret is it's not for grandma as much as you think it is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, this is deep.
3: (laughs) I sort of have chills, but that you're, you, it's, it's very deep what we're talking about mm. or profound, maybe is a better word. It's profound. You you recognize the profundity of life on Mm. a real level. Again, not because you're, supposed to or some kind of, I don't know, obligatory, obligatory, like, because sometimes in voice dialogue, we would say you have genuinely spiritual selves, but then you have yeah. spiritual taskmasters and they, they pose as like, well, this is the spiritual thing to do, but really they're just adding more to your to-do list. Like, and by the way, you're supposed to be grateful. And by the way, you're supposed to blah, blah, blah. And that's right. not, gratitude and spirituality that's a self that is making you feel bad because you're not enough so you should do Mm. more and that self it's like no i'm here and i'm present and that's the gift
1: Mm.
2: yeah sometimes it's just enough to be present right it's just enough to be present and um, radiate unconditional love i'm finding that that is the most uh, powerful spiritual practice there is it's just a um, realize that uh, you have all the love you need, not just for yourself, but for others as well. And you don't have to wait or, you know, uh, right. Expect them to reciprocate that love back to you. If they do, it's great. But even if not, you're not dependent on that. That's why and it's that's freedom, right? And that's freedom. That's liberating for sure. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about these different selves, and I know that in your book you've given names to recognize or understand these different cells, right? So could you give us an overview of what they are?
3: So I think like brain plasticity, I think we have yep. inner selves plasticity. So okay. the potential to have different inner selves, I think is endless, but endless. we have a lifetime, right? So that's where yeah. we kind of have a cutoff date. Like you just won't have time to have endless selves. And so I love your idea about the first seven years. Cause when I do um, the, the, Uh, exercises and I work with participants we actually do an exercise and you know if um people want to write this down who are listening, you write down what selves were primary when you were very young. And some of them would be, and they all depend on the household, what the household cares about, and Mm. even cultural rules like gender expectations, sibling order. What I love about voice dialogue is it fits with every other modality because it just takes in reality. So some of my early primary parts were responsible one, a uh, loving daughter um caregiver that mm. those are big ones uh, observer uh silent often I just i i would keep my co- own counsel, so to speak. um how about you if you think about it? like what would be yeah. some of your early selves
2: my one of my early self was uh artist because I used to draw art, mm-hmm. sketch a art when. Are we talking about first four years, first, first seven years? Yeah, four, years? Okay. seven,
3: yeah, exactly.
2: Artists. One would be an artist, one would be a daydreamer because I would just daydream a lot, stare into a Bolivian. Um, The other self would be, um, I guess, in a way, a creative entrepreneur because my dad was an entrepreneur and I would emulate him by holding the briefcase or oh. uh, you know, watching him go to work. So that was the other one. Other one was obviously the lover, somebody who just wanted unconditional love for mom and dad, and I did I did receive that at home, so I'm lucky in that sense.
1: Yeah,
2: that my mom was Christian, so I got uh, I got to draw from that spiritual side, and my dad is Hindu, so I got to draw from that spiritual side, and I was encouraged to uh, to seek and 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 ask questions and go beyond. Um, so that was that was there. Oh, the other spiritual self, uh, not sorry, not spiritual self, as uh, but but uh, but self. Of me was uh, was a person who felt, um, I guess, envy in a way. And I say envy because uh, my 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 cousins would live were in the USA, and I was in India, and they would come every year, and obviously they would get this and they would show that and right the the the, the quality of life that they had abroad seemed to be better, and so they would you know, they would spend maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, and when they would go, we would go with them, but every time that they would go to the airport and go past that door, I would wonder where are they going, and I would wonder why am I not part of that group, because I wanted, I guess this could be like an adventure self also, because I wanted to go on that adventure, I wanted to leave my home behind, pack my bags, and, and just go, and, I, you know, and it didn't make sense to me, where are they going, so that's the other self.
3: That's amazing. Do you have a picture of you with your dad's briefcase?
2: I don't have with my dad. I, I might have my, I, I might have to ask my mom, but I do have a photo with a phone call, you know, always, oh. be, hus- always be hustling. <laughs> with the phone. Oh, Pretend you should make a post film.
3: that picture. I the did, early entrepreneur, you have it out?
2: I did post it in my, in my, in my, my Facebook profile. I think one of them was just like this, you know?
3: I got to, I'm going to go hunt that one down. Yeah. yeah. So the other part of it in which my book talks about then is in order for you to maintain those primary cells, which are amazing. And I think about what you're doing today. They were still connected obviously to your essence, which was supported in a lot of ways. What parts of yourself did you actually have to kind of squash down a little bit to maintain these cells that were primary when you first were on this earth,
2: what parts of myself did I have to squash down? And that's a deep question. I don't know. What parts well, did I have to squash down? How do if I you
3: had a dreamer, mm. was there um, a kind of potentially an energetic go getter or an organized self? Like, mm. uh, it's not good or bad, it's just what yeah. unfolded.
2: Uh, to be honest, I wasn't really organized even as a kid. I was always this dreamer, always this, you know, out there. One of the things I do re- recall that I'm sure has affected me was that as a kid, I always wanted to be like my dad, right? An entrepreneur, businessman. And I logically assumed that that's what I would do is take over my dad's business. But my dad was trying to protect me from the uncertainty. But the way it came out was, my dad was like, "You should get go get a job." And so deep down, I was always trying to prove myself to be an entrepreneur. And it seems like things have come a whole circle now because you know uh, uh, that sort of reconciliation has happened. So deep down, my dad has also accepted me as an entrepreneur and somebody who is, you know, putting his stuff out there and and wanting to make a difference in the world. But I I do recall that. For the longest time, I felt that I was not enough to be an entrepreneur, which is why I was trying to prove myself.
3: Got you. And that's the yeah. seven eights. So, yeah. again, it's not all bad. Because you were trying to prove yourself, you actually gained extraordinary skills and experiences. Yeah. And I even talk about in my book how we unconsciously misinterpret the motivations. Like your dad was trying to protect you. Like, no, there's a big downside to entrepreneurship. You're too young to get it. And I just don't, I want to protect you. But you interpreted it differently. And we talk about that in the book. And on some level, it doesn't matter in that if you're, if you end up with this is your series of selves, you still have to deal with it. Mm. And that that we can still get stuck when no one meant any harm but you can still end up feeling bad about yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a great one. And then organized, where are you in the, how's your organized self today, for example? My
2: organized self is, um, I guess, an aspect of my being that was in the darkness, but I do realize the more that I express my sense of organization, um, I just feel better. And Uh so what I do is I sort of reach out or even look at people who are more organized than me. And, um, you know, I realized that there's a huge benefit of that, whether it's as simple as tidying up your home. Uh, They say that, you know, when you're creative, you can have like a slightly shabby desk or stuff here and there because you're focused on bringing your ideas to the world, but I do see an opportunity where if your home is much more neat and tidy and and clean and you got essential oils, you know, going on, you're going to, it's going to be much more productive and you're going to be in a flow. So that's definitely- You remind (laughs) me
3: that's another question I ask selves is like, uh, that's a great example of where it was just hidden and you didn't have great access and you actually, it sounds like you had to work pretty hard to become more organized and you ask yourself, who's your role model? Mm. So you you said you looked around because often parts of us, we might not even be conscious of it, but so we have a role model and it could be one that puts us down the wrong path, like our fun cousin who ended up being maybe an alcoholic, but we just thought, oh, how wild and crazy this cousin is. And so our role model maybe for teenage times would have been this not such a great role model yeah. or someone who is a good mo- role
2: model right uh, so I guess my role model is my sister my younger sister so we sort of took different paths um, I went down the creative route she was more on the analytical logical thought process uh, I'm into business she's into she's an engineer so cool. she right so she's in the USA uh, I'm more creative expressive she's more organized and you know structured. And, uh, you know, I, I, I draw from her whenever I go to meet yes. her and in the way she expresses herself and, right, so in, in the way she makes plans and this and that. And it's all, you know, dot, dot, dot. Uh, yeah,
3: so that's, I guess that's my role model. And then you take the bit that fits you. Like yeah. she has it for her and I'm sure she looks at you and says, oh, well, what if I she was, does. oh, <laughs> that is so cool. Now you mentioned something, if I can go back to it, which is yeah. really I thank you for bringing it up, the envy self. Mm. That's painful. And I think envy is a very large part of what happens in the seven-eighths. And the secret about envy that nobody really understands is that to be envied is as painful as envying someone. And so when someone crosses their finish line, they're open to be envied. Mm. not even negatively, although it could be negative because they're they're to be admired. It's like, wow, no. you took that from here and brought it there. Yeah. And so I have an exercise in the book that I learned from my mentors, which deals with envy, but you can do it with any of it because envy is, if you use it as kind of a pointer, what did you, what would you say if, in the example you gave, if you feel like sharing, like what did your envy tell you in that moment? <sighs>
2: Yeah, maybe I'm not using the right word. Maybe it's envy, but it's like my soul wanted me to be in the USA.
3: Your longing? (laughs) Would longing be a better word?
2: Like a yearning, like a soul yearning. yearning. And I always, I used to tell my friends, you know, I'm going to USA next month. I'm going to USA next month. And after a point, it became a joke because I never ended up going. (laughs) And I used to tell my grandmother, you're you're going every six months because she used to go to take care of my Dad's so my cousins, right? My dad's brother, when they were when they were young. So she she used to go there for six months at a time. I was like, you're going? Why don't you just take me? It's it's not that I'm big. I'm
1: free. <laughs> and then
2: she would just make a joke like, I'm going. Okay, I'll put you in the suitcase and I'll take you. But deep down, I knew that was a joke, right? <laughs> and so at a certain point, I actually gave up hope. I said, maybe maybe it's not my purpose to to be in the West, right? Maybe, right? And so just like the Hollywood movie there was an opportunity that came where I got a chance to do my MBA and my dad supported me and he said, you know what? So in a way, my dad was living his life, his dreams through me because he was an engineer and he had an opportunity to go to the US back in his day, but he sacrificed because he had to take care of his parents. And so through me, I feel he was like, he wants me to live his dreams that he was not able to um, express.
3: That's beautiful
2: which is why i'm grateful
3: yeah and again all of these selves come from our ancestors that's the other yeah. thing it's like when um, you meet uh, somebody you're meeting their whole family of selves yeah. and i see what you mean yeah so yearning is different than envy yes, because yeah. envy is off is but so envy i think tells people what they want right mm. i envy so and so because they're x and y yeah. and so back to that again you find out what are what is what are the gifts of envy and mm. some that i can think of is it tells you what you want mm. so then what's your version of that so you can go get it mm. the other thing about envy and what your envy self tells you often you're looking at someone who gives themselves permission to either be or do something you're yeah. not giving yourself permission to be or do whether that's being bigger or riskier or whatever it is,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and
3: so often envy is also hidden in judgments, right? And we, I have this uh, exercise which is in the book, which is you take a homeopathic dose, just a teeny itty bitty weeny 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 bit of that quality, microdose, <laughs> micro-dose exactly. It's <laughs> a different kind of microdosing, but it's very powerful. Okay. Um, and and because then that can be, it'll be one of your strengths. So, um, I don't know, do you, if you want to just bring up a a, a self that's sort of disowned in you, what could you take a little dose of that part? How might your life be different in 24 to 72 hours? In other words, it's right away. It's not theoretical. Like, how would your life Mm. be different if you were a little bit more X? Mm. Because the fear is you're going to be flooded with that, like let's say um, flooded with envy or something or or uh, rage that's the fear, and it's appropriate if you have problems in that department, but usually it's just that you need a teeny bit and you do the reason you're 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 uh triggered by that yeah. envy or uh, annoyance is because you need what they have
2: mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I might have to, you know, ponder on that, maybe do some journaling and really find out what is that microdose that I need.
3: (laughs) I love that. And so with your listeners, they can do it too. And what you do is you think of someone who bothers you, either Mm -hmm. someone you envy and just are like, they are so blah, blah, or you judge or you admire. Uh, They are so amazing. I could never be them. And then you, Right. Two or three qualities of that person in my practice, especially among the women, Oprah is still up there like I could never be like Oprah. now. The thing about voice dialogue is it's personal, which I love. So I can't assume that when I say I want to be like Oprah, that it's the same way when you say you want to be like Oprah. And so I have them say two or three qualities of Oprah that they just admire so much they just think they could never do it. And they take the microdose of that. So someone might say, "I she's a maverick. She's brave. Mm. She's strong." And then I'll say, "All right, well what if you took a little more dose of a microdose of strength? What would mm. you do differently in the next few hours up to 72 hours?" And almost every time someone's like, "Oh, I would do this. I'm like, ah, there it is. So go do it with that strength. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite, it could be softness. Like, wow, yeah. she's so, um, I don't know, just an uncaring. And it's like, well, what if you took a microdose of not caring? They're like, what? Yeah. What if you took a microdose of I don't give a, what would you do differently? And they're like, right. well, I would do X. I'm like, exactly. So I would love for your readers to really think about that in journal and how you find it is who's bugging you. Hmm.
2: Okay, so I get it. So find out somebody who's triggering you, bugging you or somebody that you silently envy, somebody who has qualities that you might wanna have in your life as well and understand what those qualities are, but also take like a small step uh, towards that direction so that you can get your feet wet and you can feel what it is to live even for a microdose, microsecond, in their footsteps.
3: exactly.
2: Put on the mask, so to speak, put on the persona so that uh, you know you can you can get a glimpse. Um, so I love that exercise, and thanks a lot for sharing that um, as well. Um, now, a term that Carl Jung often talked about was the shadow self, right? And uh, we all have aspects of that shadow self within us, but sometimes they hide in darkness because we're too afraid of them showing up. So the exercise that you're sharing, is that a way of bringing up a shadow aspect of, of ourself?
3: 100% yes, that's exactly right. And the way I look at shadow, cause Jung is the one that put it on the map. And so yeah. the shadow selves can be selves you are absolutely unconscious of. You don't know they're there and it's genuinely unconscious. Then there are selves that are in shadow, they're hidden. You know they're there, but you would even lie about them. Maybe they're addictive selves or revenge selves or so those kind of things that you are actually sometimes embarrassed, ashamed, oh, okay. or guilty about. And, again, these are really strong emotions. And so or even um, people who steal. Like there's a lot of selves that people know they have. It's yep. not a shadow to them, but yep. they're embarrassed. They wish they could just cut them off. And then, so those I call hidden cells, but they are all part of the shadow and you're 100% correct. Looking at someone who bugs you, they carry your shadow. They have something that you're not willing to own that you also have and it can be fabulous and that's the golden shadow so many people disown their own unique intelligence their own intuitive wildness and that's why i say with the voice dialogue process and doing the final eighth work you meet your magical sages your canny advisors because you're in touch with these other parts and Mm -hmm. yes they are carried a lot of the time by people that irritate us, that we're envious of, that that we have, we call it negative emotions. Not because it's bad, but because it doesn't feel good.
2: Right. So this triggering about when somebody says something or when somebody does something, you get triggered. Can that be taken to politics as well?
3: Mm. Say more. I would say yes. But what? In what way do you think? Are you? Or are well, you? Thi-
2: Obviously, when a Democrat watches a Republican post something, they get triggered. When a Republican watches somebody gotcha. post something about whoever in in in, in a Democrat, they get triggered, right? So the triggering is there. I was just wondering if
3: yes, I couldn't agree more. I think if the whole world had a better sense of uh, both the work we each do, so we call that polarized selves. So that's a perfect example in voice dialogue. So you have the selves that are Republican and the selves that are Democrat, and they mm-hmm. Literally do not understand how the other could have the opinion that the other one has. And so in voice dialogue, you understand that even inside you have opposing agendas. You no. have the one that says, let's play hooky and go to the beach. And you have the ones that says, no, I'm going right. to finish this deadline. And that's what the Democrats and the Republicans, if we all speak semi-generically, it's like they all, if we're going to give them the compassionate overview, care about what they care about. Mm -hmm. and want to share that, and they all have aspects of the other. You can be a dictatorial progressive just as much as you can be an actual dictator or fascist, and I do think people would understand it's about fear, so -hmm. if you can control, if you have a relationship with your fear, you don't have to turn other into other. You're like, well, I have an other as well, and so I agree they are polarized. And so when you don't do your work, you think you're just your primary selves. Nope. This is how it is. And this is how life should be. And those that don't align are other. And not only am I scared of them, they should be destroyed, which of course we all lose. Mm. So, yeah, that's a great example. And we're, and you also don't have to front to protect mm. your vulnerability with voice dialogue. It's like, yeah. Every one of myself has the noble purpose of protecting my vulnerability. So I now don't have to pretend I'm not vulnerable. And also, like, there's one definition of strength, rough and tough. No, how? I mean, we could put that one out. How many definitions of strengths are there? But in what you're talking about, it's like fronting Mm -hmm. is the best thing and we're invincible. Well, that's a little scary to think someone thinks invincible. Already I'm scared because it's like, wow, you don't understand how life works because no one's invincible. Right. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too because you bring up such a good point.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just posted something on my Facebook profile the other day. Is, um, just to your point, right, um, life would be pretty boring if we lived in a homogenous world and our diversity brings out the best in us. And diversity does not necessarily mean just different genders and different Um, races or different, uh, you know, body types. Diversity also means different viewpoints and diversity is living amongst Republicans or living amongst Democrats. The thing about it is like you've sort of alluded to when somebody makes a point or adds a post or makes a decision, it's usually because they want to go away from fear and closer to love, right? And so if we dive deeper and be more curious, you know, set aside our emotions from it and understand why they do what they do, we'll realize that both of us are doing taking our different decisions for the same reason, is to protect yes. our family, is to be more safe, uh, is to get free medical, you know, get some semblance of you know, Medicare and <laughs> to be safe, right? And and to express ourselves, whether in the form of education or getting a job. Uh, and so instead of feeling like that person is gonna viciously, viciously attack you and condemning them for that or silencing them or canceling them, Uh, What we could do is realize that uh, maybe there's an aspect of ourselves that we're hiding.
3: And also, yeah, and that it's not a zero-sum game. Yeah. And also that there's not enough. Like that's old world. Like there's only enough for X. And we know now that that's just not true. Mm -hmm. But so a lot of those are also holding on to their zero to seven-year-old era. Yeah. Yeah misbeliefs and digging in and adding weaponry but really the real weapons that could really help would be like you said going in let's move through some of these zero to seven year old beliefs that aren't serving the planet at all and diversity even in terms of nature yeah when there's not diversity there there are Crop failures and all that's kinds true. of terrible things. Diversity as a strength is part of the, I think, whole thread of the earth.
2: Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, even if you have friends, I see a lot of friends or people saying that I've lost these many friends because of the po- of politics. Mm. But the truth is that uh, Trump and Biden are going to come and go, but your friends are going to be here. They're probably in your life for so many years. And just because you have a political disagreement, it doesn't mean you need to lose your friends. On the other hand, like I've got friends who I disagree with, but that, because we know how to dialogue, we know how to debate, at the end of it, we go to a higher self or a higher understanding of us. So that's maybe a nuance for people to pick
3: up. I know. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice?
2: (laughs) But Bridget, obviously there's a lot of work to be done. And you've given these beautiful um, techniques in your book. And one of it is the hidden self diary. So what exactly is that?
3: So you can do it first with the primary self and then with the hidden self, if that's easier, but you Mm. go through your day and you notice what parts are up. But, and so um, can we do it together with you? Like what are some parts that are primary? So like when you wake up, I, I like to say when that alarm clock rings at 5.30 in the morning and you're in a deep sleep, how many selves are awoken and have opinions about what to do next? The other thing about voice dialogues, it's that simple. Like this is already how we live. It's not like we have to figure this thing out. Okay. We do approach life from different selves. So when you, when on a weekday, let's say a work day. What cells wake up when that alarm jars you into mm. the day?
2: That's a good question. Um, one of the cells that wake up is I'm just I'm just happy
1: oh. to
2: be alive, and I, maybe I'm not doing gratitude, but I know I'm you know deep down I am grateful, and um, you know a lot of worse things could have happened, but I'm still here. <laughs> I do want coffee. That's the other thing. I don't know okay. what self that would be, but just to be alert and I want to go to the coffee shop because that's what I usually do my work. So just the need to to jump up and do my work. Creative work. Because mm. I deserve the creative work for the mornings. Um, But
3: yeah, and the sun helps. Sunshine helps for sure. So you have a part that loves the sun once it like... One thing Ooh. I noticed in your list is how many selves are body selves. That's the other thing. We do have intellectual selves, but everything. And like this coffee self, this coffee self says, let's go get this wonderful liquid. I, too, am a coffee drinker, yeah. And yeah. then we're going to have all of this wonderful energy. And also the importance of ritual. So there are certain selves that are like, here, let me help us get to where we want to be on our day. So mm. those. So when you do your self diary, that would be the primary self, you literally start to notice and you can write them down. And if you don't have a lot of time, you could even just use your phone. Like, oh, I just noticed my uh, social excuse self. Oh, sorry, we're busy and can't make yeah. it, but have a good time. Mm. You, you start to notice but then as you get to notice that you can make a hidden self diary and often that's the self that you kind of feel but doesn't actually express itself so when you do the hidden self diary it's not like i got really mad and then i told off my boss you right. could say i felt that part of me that wanted to say you have just crossed the line with me but another self stopped me okay. and so that's how you start to notice and just notice I Meaning, there's nothing to change and it's fascinating because once you start that practice, you realize it's all day long. And like you said, a lot of it's reflexive. So mm-hmm. once you start to notice, then you're like, wait, did I actually want to be more truthful in this moment? Maybe you didn't. Maybe it's just you don't even have time. You just have to do a polite excuse because you got 17 other things to do. Again, voice dialogue is not about what's the right choice. It's helping you have the choice. Or you know what? No, this time I need to say something to my boss. And it's actually not it's bad i'm doing myself a disservice by saying no i i i don't work saturdays as you were told and that's just not going to happen or whatever it is and you see even describing with you i've got this energetic part and so the nice person in me that like oh i don't like anybody to be unhappy and i'll just say yes so at least they're happy even if i'm not that self might actually get a scared like oh my god you're just going to make the boss mad right and then you take care of that self because you now realize that self is there and you're like i got this i've worked with a lot of people where it's like don't bring your eight-year-old to work they don't want your eight-year-old anyway they didn't you're not paying them to babysit your eight-year-old you take care of your eight-year-old and bring your work cells to work
0: Mm.
3: because a lot of time people back to the zero to seven they're running their ceo meetings as a ceo with their seven-year-old childish uh, emotional self Mm. and they wonder why they're not taken seriously so I work with a lot of people like that well who are you leading with in this situation Mm. and that's very empowering like wow you're leading with your wounded eight-year-old boy that didn't get enough attention we need to deal with that and and have and hold it and give it love but no to your eight-year-old boy going to that third interview for the job that you really that you really want talk about seven eighths ish issue mm. like doing so great at all the interviews and then not bringing the right part of yourself to that final interview and not getting hired like mm. it's the stakes are high if if mm. when you stay in your seventh eighth and don't work to again share your gift with the world. So I love that one and just noticing is it also expands you like
2: oh,
3: I just let my polite self, kind of not tell the truth. Let me go back, and again, you can let it slide or say, "Actually, here's what I really think." Mm. Sorry, but that's just true, or something. And it's uh, it's exciting. It's not living life in those reflexive modes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So, so, what advice would you have for somebody? right now who is listening to this episode but has had a traumatic experience or is going through a really tough dark time and is saying I can probably never overcome this challenge in this lifetime maybe it's like a health diagnosis that they
3: Hmm.
2: you know had or maybe it's like a relationship or you know maybe it's a financial issue what would you tell them
3: I would say again go gentle so if it's a diagnosis you honor the parts that are scared, terrified, and the thing about those kind of things, or maybe on the brink of bankruptcy and having to make some of those decisions, that you can grow different inner selves and that you can make decisions accordingly, that, that this is a time, including COVID and the unrest, like maybe you don't want to go back to what you were doing before like maybe this is a brilliant opportunity and that you've got selves that just want to risk being an entrepreneur because you don't feel like going back to that system which never felt right for you anyway Mm -hmm. so i would say kindness and gentleness because they're there whatever those selves are and if like you're heartbroken over a relationship a lot of my work is just letting people have grief it's okay to be heartbroken Why? Because your heart's broken. Mm. And let's just let that heartbreak speak. And sometimes in some of my sessions, like I said, it's just about letting that part cry or wail. And as a facilitator, I just hold the space. I don't try to let them intellectually talk about it when they're in that heartbroken self. Then when we Mm -hmm. come back to center, they can energetically feel the difference and then we can talk about it. But a lot of times it's because people are running away from the very difficult emotions they must feel in order to get through to the other side. And a lot of the selves there are like, I'll help you not feel. But once you realize, you know, you there's a safe space for you to feel, including addict selves, they're wonderful at helping you not feel. Let's have a cigarette. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and really it's about, uh-oh, that's going to be a rough feeling. I don't want to feel that feeling. And once you realize I'm bigger than the need to not feel my feelings, that there's more, there's space for it, that's what I would say for people in a hard time. Don't pretend you're not. You are. And and get the support that you can and, and let those selves that are in pain express themselves because they may have some really good ideas if you allow that. Again, back to just being curious, even if it's really dark, that doesn't change. Hmm.
2: So Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's session so far. If there's one thing that we're learning, it is that we really need to get to know ourselves. Not just our conscious selves that we are very familiar with, but also the aspects of ourselves that we are ashamed of or have kept hidden in the abyss of our mind for maybe months or even years. All we need to do is acknowledge them and let them know that you're aware of their presence after all these years. You've not forgotten them and in fact, you're willing and ready to process them and to face them and to express them. Of course, this might not happen in just one day, (laughs) uh, but like we're learning, it's like an onion. You might have to go layer by layer and layer, and sometimes you might cry. Because as Jacob Nordby so eloquently put, every pain, every addiction, anguish, longing, depression, anger, or fear is an orphaned part of us seeking joy, some disowned shadow, wanting to return to the light and home of ourselves. So take some time to think about that. And with that being said, we are now at the last round for today, which is the wisdom round. So Bridget, what is the best piece of
3: advice that you have ever received? I will credit my husband for this one. Just do it he has always said you never know where it's going to take you and it may not take you where you think it is but you know where you're going if you don't take the steps and he really is so empowering that way like just do it okay just do it and more casual like that it doesn't have to be this big thing try it take the steps just do it
2: and if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone living or dead who would it be (sighs)
3: I was thinking about that, of course, because I know that's such a good question of yours. I think it would be Jung, okay. Carl Jung, who uh, brought us the collective unconscious, the the um, the archetype, the, and the golden shadow and the regular shadow that you talked about. I'd want to know how, how did you, in your culture, come up with these ideas? It feels like he was downloaded and change the world that we now all kind of know many of us like what that means collective unconscious and things like that yeah i'd love to spend time with that brain and in this imagination you just asked me to have i'd want to speak his language so that then i could just know we could learn speak in german which i don't know so i'd want to have this language understanding german
2: well he did love the chakras you know right <laughs>
3: That's right.
2: Kundalini chakras, you should do these workshops. So <laughs> what is it one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before you go to sleep that really has nourished your life?
3: I do transcendental meditation. So I've done that for several years now. I do that absolutely every morning and later in the day, usually well before night, because I like to use the energy into the night. So TM for me has just been amazing.
2: And is there a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today?
3: Oh, Awareness Games, uh, Playing With Your Mind to Create Joy by Brian Tom O'Connor. It's a fabulous book with these mindfulness exercises, but they're, it's almost not a book because they're so playful. And it helps you shift your state and get into connecting to awareness itself. And I love this book.
2: So Action Tribe, as many of you know, you have this opportunity to receive one book for free. That is one audible, which means that instead of reading a book, you can actually go through it by listening to it. And in most of these cases, the authors themselves read out the book to you. You can add a bookmark, you can add notes, and it's all on your phone. So in case you want to check out this book, Awareness Games, make sure you go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book. You'll get one credit and you can download your book, um, and it's free. So, Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today. Before oh. you go, what is that one thing that you're grateful for right now? And how do we get to know you online?
3: I'm grateful to have met you and just feel... Likewise. Like, um <laughs> I'm living my final eighth. My book is about me being stuck and getting unstuck and sharing. And so here, like today, is a perfect example. And so I just feel wonderful. And you can find me by Googling my name or finaleighth.com. I have my own website with that. And I'm all over social media. So please contact me. And also every third Thursday of the month at 8 o'clock Eastern, we, I offer a free Zoom shop of Uh, basic voice dialogues for people who want to see how it works with my colleague, Eric Potempa. And that just contact me and I'll give you the Zoom info.
2: Perfect. We'll have all the links up in the show notes. Are you active on Instagram? Yes. Great. So in that case, Action Tribe, if you are watching this on Facebook, or on YouTube, or even on your iPhone or some other podcasting app, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag us on Instagram so that we can share your story with our communities. My handle is at My7Chakras, at My7Chakras. And do you remember yours? Otherwise, I can add it.
3: I think it's at Bridget Gaspard.
2: At Bridget so make sure you tag us both so that we can share your story. And as next steps, if you would like to join our Facebook group to breathe with me, to do some breath work, to do some meditation, to have these beautiful, uplifting conversations, then go to my forward slash tribe, T-R-I-B-E, my 7 forward slash tribe. And if you have any feedback, questions, observations, comments, my email is at aj at my aj at my uh, so Bridget, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about the power of the final eighth, but also the importance of doing shadow work uh, and taking us one step closer to a human revolution.
3: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my is My S-E-V Chakras.com